Thanks for listening to the Campus Collective Podcast. As always, we pray that this resource is a helpful supplement for you as a follower of Jesus and as an active member in your local church. We love God's design for His church, and we believe that this resource could never substitute the incredible things that come from active involvement with a community of believers. Campus Collective is a ministry of Huntington Community Church. To learn more, visit our website at HuntingtonCommunityChurch.com. I'm excited for tonight. So hopefully you brought a Bible. You need to get that out. We are going to continue. Still seems a little loud, Jake. Okay, you're getting, everything's good. Okay. Um, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. So go ahead and turn there if you brought a Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible, um, the words will be up on the screen. You don't have to worry about that. But if you have one, I invite you to look at that. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Dustin. I'm on staff here at Huntington Community Church, and I uh, get the privilege of, uh, man, just getting to have a blast tonight um, in the scriptures. I am so excited for this passage. Um, so let me, let me frame this for a moment of the series title. So where we've been going, right? We've taken most of this semester to work through the book of Colossians, the series title of that, what we've said, which is the theme that we've wanted to continually put in front of you, is the image of the invisible God. We wanted to emphasize this so that you see it. So what, what we have in this book is a letter written to the church at Colossae, written to the people of God on how they are supposed to live in light of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. So it's worth stopping here for a moment, just so all of our cards are on the table, we can center ourselves on reality this evening. Did you know that Jesus is God? That he really lived, he really died, he is really alive right now, and he is really reigning. And we don't see him like they saw him, his apostles in the early church, but we know him by faith. And it's that that anchors us in reality. Jesus is real. He is not a concept. And so what we have, anytime you approach a New Testament letter, what we're going to get tonight is a feast of truths, things that are true about Jesus tonight that should, which is my aim, is that you would leave here overwhelmed in your heart and overwhelmed in your mind. Not the bad overwhelmed, but that this is way too good to be true, but it's actually true kind of overwhelmed. So not only will there be true things to dwell on, there's going to be commands that will convict our sin and empower us into living in his righteousness. And I'll be honest, it is a full meal tonight. It's a lot. And I am, man, let me just give you my title. Now I'll admit, um, this is not my best work as far as sermon titles are concerned. Um, I did not run this by anybody on any sort of creative team Um, But the title of the sermon tonight is Received, Walk, Rooted, Built Up, Made Alive, and Victorious. And so um, we're going to leave that up there for you for a little bit, but that is exactly where we are heading, okay? (laughs) If you didn't notice, um, that's where we're going. So when, when we say this title, what we are saying is that our goal, what we want for all of us is to receive Jesus, to walk in Jesus to be rooted in Jesus, to be built up in Jesus, to be made alive in Jesus, and finally to be victorious in Jesus. 
And listen to me, this is all yours by faith. So let's, let's do this tonight. Let's believe these truths. Can you imagine what would happen if we left this building tonight actually believing the things the Bible says about Christ and about us? And so we'll fill our minds, pray that God catches those truths on fire in our souls so that we all leave here living a life of worship, a life of love for each other, and a life of mission for the lost. And I believe that Colossians chapter 2, 6 through 15 can do that. So let's read it all all in one chunk here to start out. Verse six, here we go. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross." He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. My goodness, if we leave here believing these things, this really can change our lives. The word of God is always relevant, and this is what we should have come in here starving for tonight. And so what we're going to do is take this verse by verse, phrase by phrase, all the way through the end, and see what God might do in our hearts, all right? So let's look at verse six and seven again. I'm gonna reread it just so we're all centered in on the realities that we are considering, okay? So, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So once again, wanna hang on every word, so let's stop at therefore, Anytime, listen, any, in your Bible study, anytime you see that word, you need to understand that what, came, um, what comes after it is grounded in the truths that were said before it. Um, another way that I've heard it said is anytime you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what's it there for, right? And what that means is you look to the verses before it to see the realities that give the verses after it their power, okay? So this is from two weeks ago. Last week we had the panel, and then this was from the passage that I preached two weeks ago. And so here's a quick summary of that. If you remember, at the end of Paul showing us that his heart struggle was for God's people to be encouraged and knit in love. You remember this. He says that it would bring him joy to see the people of God in firmness of faith and in Christ and in good order. And so we kind of concluded together that all of us should want that. And so grounded in that truth, that what our heart's desires as Christians should be is to be knit together in love, we are given these commands. So 
Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We are told to walk in Christ in the same way that we received Christ. And so let's just take a moment together to define or consider the biblical reality of walk. And maybe if you've grown up in church or been around Christians, this is a familiar phrase for you. Normally it's phrased like this, um, how's your walk with Christ? You ever heard that before? That's what people are asking. They're saying, hey, how is your walk? And the biblical idea behind this is that you are going on a direction, that your life is heading somewhere. One of my favorite verses in Proverbs comes at the end of chapter four where the, the wisdom literature there commands us to ponder the path of your feet. Ponder the path. So all of us, you need to be thinking. If it's a walk with Christ, all of us are heading somewhere. Right now, you need to ponder the path of your feet. If you kept doing, kept having the same thoughts, feeling the same things, doing the same things every day for the rest of your life, where does that take you? It's the idea here. We're all going somewhere. And the Christian life is more like a walk than a decision. Now, it is true that there is a point that you do decide by God's grace to go on the path with Christ, but the journey with him is what we're after. It's a path of continual obedience, continual repentance for when you fail and receiving his grace for each new day. It's way more like that than it is just remembering that you prayed a prayer one day and then just went on your way. You understand that? And if you're honest with yourself tonight, you all want this too. No one wants an inauthentic, dead religion where we just made a decision one day and then we just are on Team Jesus and that's the end of it. All of us, especially you who know Jesus, we want to be going somewhere with him. And so Paul's command for us right here is, as you received him, so walk in him. Which means we are to, we are to walk with Jesus in the same way we received him. So, begs the question, if you're a Christian in the room, how did you receive Christ? It's fair, right? If we're supposed to walk in the same way that we received him, we should be asking, how did we receive Christ? And I want to make a note here. This applies to Christians in the room. It doesn't mean that if you haven't followed Jesus, this isn't for you, but you need to understand, if you have not received Christ, you are rejecting Christ. There is not morally neutral terms when it comes to the king of the universe. The decision point for all of us is what are we going to do? Are we going to go on his path or any other path? And so we could take all night talking about all the different facets and aspects of, of how we receive Christ, but I picked out a few just to help um, our purposes here in these verses. So the first thing is if you receive Christ truly, you received him humbly, right? That you were confessing, admitting, acknowledging that you had no shot of a self-salvation project. You need Jesus. So when you received him, you received him humbly. Also, if you truly received Christ, you received him desperately. Received him desperately, right? Not only humbly, but also, I need that. Listen, you didn't just weigh all the facts and decide, you know what, this is the good moral thing to do. If God opened your eyes by his grace, you saw your desperate need for Christ. And so you received him not only humbly, you received him desperately. And also, this kind of goes with those two, but it's worth noting, we received him because we saw 
that a life lived for us was foolish and sinful. Do you realize that? Truly receiving and following the Lord is saying in your will and in your heart that a life lived for yourself is foolishness and sinful. And so you receive Christ, at least, once again, I know, there's a lot of different ways that we could put in there, other adverbs if you wanted, but it's important to know that you at least received him, if you're a true Christian, you received him humbly, you received him desperately, and you received him because you saw that a life lived for you was foolish and sinful. And so now, because we want to live a life, like Paul said in our passage two weeks ago, we want to have a life of good order and firmness in the faith. We want to walk in this way, too. So as you received him, you are to walk in this way. So you are to walk humbly. You are to walk desperately, and you are to walk and live your life as if it really is true that a life lived for yourself is foolish and sinful. So what does this mean for you? This means that you need to learn how to say, help me. <laughs> you need to learn how to say, help me. Humility should mark your walk with Christ. And if you're honest with yourself, you know this. The spiritual realities that we are considering, the kingdom that is coming, the sheer amount of lostness and brokenness all around us, we need help. Like Jesus did not pick us because he thought these are the ones who have got it together. <laughs> he picked us for his own glory and for your joy. And so when you walk in humility, you need to learn the prayer and the conversation of help, humility. And also, what this looks like, if you're going to not only walk humbly as you received him, but walk desperately, you should learn how to say, help me, even more. <laughs> you should be saying, help me because I need help, and no, really, help me because I need his grace and his presence because without him I have no shot. And we're going to get into this as we get through this sermon, but I think it's worth noting here, it always convicts me, that whenever we talk about this humility, we talk about this desperation, uh, that makes no sense if you just live a life that's actually for yourself and you just slap the Christian label on it. Did you know that? Like, you could connect to this community, have Christian friends, become a member of a church, and have no real vital relationship with Jesus. Because somehow you measured the pros and cons and thought, this would be better for my social clout if I decide that being on Team Jesus is best for me. You've never said, help me. Never said, help me desperately. It's just a life for me, and it's more socially convenient for me to say I love Jesus. So not only do we receive and walk humbly, and not only do we receive and walk desperately, we receive and walk by living a life that says we know a life lived for us is foolish and sinful. So what does that look like in your walk? Not only do you need to learn how to say, help me, and not only do you need to learn how to say, help me, with more enthusiasm, you need to learn how to say, I'm sorry. You need to learn how to repent. Listen, you will sin. We are not talking about perfection here. But you receive Christ as Lord when you realize that your life was a moral mess and you had nowhere else to turn. And listen to me, that does not change just because you've been following him a long time. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you are going to realize you are nothing like him. I heard this in a sermon today that uh, 
The beautiful thing about Jesus, though it is true, you'll learn how much more sinful you are. Jesus is the only person that as you get closer to him, you realize you like him more. <laughs> Just kind of beautiful. It's the one being in the universe that as you get closer to him, there's not like some skeletons in the closet he's going to get you. He's only good. And so you need to learn how to say help me, and you need to say how to learn how to say help me, <laughs> and you need to learn how to repent. Because as you receive Christ, that's how you walk, humbly, desperately, and living a life that says, a life lived for me, i.e. sinning, is foolish and evil. And I want to speak quickly to maybe someone in the room who, who's thinking that, you know, my life, maybe you got saved, like you're one of those that, you know, you were like born and immediately fell into a baptismal, right? Like you have just grown up in church, it's all you've ever known. You need to hear this too. Even if you weren't out living a crazy life of sin, you were helplessly dead. Helplessly. Jesus didn't pick you and love you because your parents were Christians. Picked you by his grace. And I should note, I see Lydia laughing. That was not a shot at Presbyterians. Just, just so you know, I realize that now. Uh, that was not that. Uh, it's just... The weird metaphor my mind went. So, uh, but you need to understand that there can be rebellious messes and there can be religious messes. And all of us are called to walk in humble, desperate, repentant ways. And this is what good order and firm faith looks like. Listen to me. Not firm because our stability, but because of his. This should free you tonight. And we, man, we have, to get, we have to move on, okay? But I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit to work right now because there's a lot more for your heart to feast on in this right here. As you received, so you walk. You don't get Christ by grace and then keep his grace by grit. You don't. As you received him is how you walk, which means that it is finishedness of your receiving of salvation that's the same it is finishedness that is applied to you every step of the way until you see him face to face. So as you received, walk. Okay, verse 7. we got to keep going. So what this walking looks like, look at this. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. So what does a walk in Christ look like? According to verse 7, it is deep and it is high. And I want to mention this again. Can we just admit how shallow and shaky that we can be? My goodness. We can be so on fire for all that God is doing for us in Christ until one thing goes wrong. But what he is pointing us to here is a rootedness and a built-upness that is firm and established in the faith. So there's some definitions here. Um, rooted would be a deep foundation with unshakable truths that anchor your soul no matter what. You are rooted in Christ. And then built up. Do you realize that as you go deeper with Christ, your life becomes a monument to the glory of God? As you go deeper in truth, it should expand your impact on others. Truth that you learn should lead, lead you to a life of love for others. And so listen, what we want for you, as this ministry, as this church family, we want you to be deep and high with Christ, because that is what it looks like to be established. And I was reading commentary on this that was helpful, and as I was studying it, he, he compared the idea of rooted and built up um, to that of building a skyscraper. And so I've never built one of those. In fact, I don't think I've ever actually been in a skyscraper. Um, but the idea here 
is that it is rooted in its foundation, and then it is built up to the glorious heights that the building can go to. And so for us, the foundation is what we believe, and the glorious heights would be our public display of our love for Jesus, gospel sharing, loving your neighbor, blessing the world in Jesus' name. This is what the path of Christ looks like, deeper and higher for his glory alone. And look at this, though. Next, next phrase here. We aren't left to our own to do this. Paul connects this rootedness and this built-upness in being taught. Look at the next phrase. So, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. The reality here assumes that people don't know things and need to learn things. And I know that's not pro- profound. Most of us know that. But a lot of us don't live our Christian life like that's true. There are things you don't know that you need to learn. Just like the church in Colossae. They were deep and high just as they were taught. And in the faith, what we call this is discipleship. And if you have no idea how to go deep with Jesus or get built up in Jesus, you need discipled. I am the product of a man named Joey Stevens who literally looked at me and said, I'm going to teach you how to follow Jesus. Taught me how to go deep in the truth and how to go high in a life that was bringing glory to God. Listen to me. You need help. We all need help. Discipleship is a means of grace. So when we talk about D groups, please understand, we are not just trying to add another thing to your schedule. We are trying to show you the means of grace where you can be taught how to go deep with Christ. It is a life-on-life relationship. And of course it's not convenient. It is not convenient to have someone confess your sins to them and to go deeper with Christ. But we need taught so that we might grow in this way. There's a, uh, a motherhood podcast that Courtney and I love. Yes, I listen to it as well. And um, the lady on there loves to bring up, uh, she, she always says, we, we shouldn't be surprised that we aren't spiritual if we do nothing spiritual. <laughs> Seems kind of fair. But I think a lot of us, oftentimes what will happen is we take a victim mentality in our spiritual fervor. I'm not doing well, therefore, the situation's not right. Or whatever. Listen, as dear Sally Clarkson would say, that's her name, you might not be growing in Christ because you're putting no effort in growing in Christ. He says if you ask, you will find. The grace is there. Discipleship is there. That might be the only action step you need to take tonight. Listen, the people of this church are the best people that I know. And they are saying, we are here. And they are older than you, and they've been walking with Jesus longer than you, most of, the, most of you probably. And they're saying, we want to help you go deep and go high with Jesus. Okay, let's keep going. Last phrase, abounding in thanksgiving. And I love this. What is the mark of maturity? Thankfulness. But not just saying thank you, abounding in thanksgiving. The deeper you get with Christ, the more thankful you'll be. The higher you go with Christ, the more thankful you'll be. Imagine your life marked by thanksgiving. (laughs) Not a life marked by complaining. Not a life marked by cynicism and distance abounding in thanksgiving. And you aren't thankful because of what you do, because growth is going deeper with Christ, which means more rest in him, and it's in that power that we grow. And so we work hard as people who have been given rest from our works, abounding in thanksgiving. Verse 8, we got to keep, we got to really keep rolling here. Okay, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition 
according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So here's a command for us. We had some truths to rest in. Now here's some commands. Make sure, if you're a Christian, listen, make sure that you are not taken captive by philosophy or empty deceit. And before we see the two spiritual warfare realities behind this warning, I want us to dwell on the imagery for a moment. Getting taken captive. It's like being kidnapped, like tricked, taken away. Lies can do this to you. You are lured away and enticed, and before you know it, you are blind to what is happening, and you are bound to the captor. That's what he's talking about. That is dramatic image. Do not be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. So two spiritual warfare realities behind this, okay? So as opposed to being in accord with Christ, Paul says, do not be captive by philosophy and empty deceit, number one, according to human tradition. So you need to understand, humans have a way of making religion. We can become captive to the way things always were and just assume morality based on the fact that everybody else says it's okay. You just say that again. Listen, you can be taken captive by empty deceit, by judging your morality or your opinion on God's law based on popular opinion. Do not be taken captive by these things. And number two, we get to see what's really going on. See, it's not just human tradition. It's according to the elemental spirits of the world. You see, our enemies are not flesh and blood. The lies that are coming are dark, demonic forces. And I'm not saying you go looking for demons in every Facebook post. I don't even know what that process would look like. But what I'm saying is that there are spiritual realities happening all around us and things that are not in according with Christ. Listen to me, they are satanic. There's not morally neutral thoughts. And they're enticing. Why else would you get taken captive? You think about spiritual warfare. None of you would get caught if someone came in here with a pitchfork and a a sharp tail and said, hey everyone, take my worldview. None of you would. You would call security and Cody Ham would take him out of here, right? We are taken captive and enticed because these things look and feel and seem good. Satan is the father of lies, and he fights us on the mind level to see you believe wrong things. Paul in another letter says it this way. I love these verses. This is 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 through 6. It says, for the weapons of our warfare, by the way, you're in a war, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So Paul is saying that he takes thoughts captive and makes them obey Christ. <laughs> so instead of these empty deceits and philosophies taking you captive, Paul says, no, 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 the truth is on the offense. When Jesus says that the gates of hell cannot prevail against his church, do you realize that gates are a defensive weapon? That is not saying that we bunker down and just know that hell can't win. It is saying we are storming the darkness and they cannot stop us. That's what's going on. Instead of getting taken captive by truth, we take the truths captive. And so in this ministry context, what's happening in Corinth, he is hunting down lies to capture them instead of being captured by the lies. So this is what we do instead. We ask God's word to take our thoughts captive like Paul did in Corinth, and we join him in seeing every lie bend to the truth. And now we could spend all evening breaking down every single worldview and trying to see um, where we're being tricked, Um, but I want to give you something and then a challenge afterwards, okay? I came across this 
in my uh, biblical counseling literature, and it was a list of the fundamental questions of life and reality. That sounds important, right? The fundamental questions of life and reality. And I want to challenge you, listen, all of you who claim Christ, especially in our ministry context on a college campus, you should know what God's word says about the things that I'm about to ask. Here's the beautiful thing. If you don't, that's okay. <laughs> that's why ministry exists. And so afterwards, you're going to be reminded about this again. Some of us are going to be in that overflow room just ready. And if any of this sounds like I have no idea how to answer that, come talk to us. We want to help you be rooted and built up. So here's some ultimate reality questions for you, okay? I'm going to go through these relatively quickly. If you want them after, we can talk in the overflow room. But things like, what is truth? Who is God? Who are we? What went wrong? How do we find peace with God? How do we change? What is God doing in the world now? And where are we all heading? Now, these are worth discussing, and I, like I said, I, I really would love for you to go grab a snack and meet some of us over there. We want to wrestle with these ultimate realities. But the call of 2 Corinthians 10 is that all of us need to lay bare our thoughts and let God do his work on our minds. Listen to me. I love you. If I hated you, I wouldn't tell you this. You don't know better. We as humans don't know better about ultimate reality. Truth is not found inside of us. It is found outside of us. But it's not so far away that we can't get to it. It came down for us. When I say that truth is outside of you, it is not saying that it is unknowable. It is revealed, not concealed. It's in the word. And we need to take these lies about these ultimate realities and make them submit to Christ and not get taken captive. It's part of our call to spiritual warfare. Verse 9 and 10, let's go. Two glorious realities of who Christ is before we see more angles of the gospel, okay? Verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So why do we submit our thoughts and our whole lives to Christ? Because he's God. The fullness of God dwelling in body, and we are filled with him. The one who is in charge of all things is in you. And I'll be honest, that stretches me to the end of my redemptive imagination and vocabulary. And so I'm just going to ask for grace here. I, I'm going to move on um, because thinking and dwelling upon the fact that God became man and dwelt among us and then somehow by his spirit dwells in us is a mystery that we are going to spend the rest of eternity celebrating. But suffice to say, you need to know that it is the reason why we submit our thoughts and our whole lives to Christ is because he is God and he is the head of all rule and authority. Watch these next verses. And before we do, I just want to take a moment to address all of you. If you tonight are shackled in guilt and shame right now, I just want to invite you to take a breath and listen to these next verses. Listen to me. Campus Collective is not a performance. Your lives matter to us more than making sure that you continue to be a part of this crowd. You have real struggles, real shame and hurt, and there is good news here tonight. I'm begging you to believe these things because you really can leave here free. Look at verse 11. 
In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So what do we need to talk about tonight is the gospel according to circumcision, strange phrase, and the gospel according to baptism. So in him this is talking about Christians, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So if you're new to the Bible or new to Christianity, you might be unfamiliar with the idea of circumcision in the Bible. Um, so I'm going to give you a little bit of context. In the Old Covenant, before Christ came, died, and rose again, circumcision um, was the actual physical um, surgery of circumcision. Um, and obviously, it's not just that. There's some gospel power for us to see because now we have a circumcision that's not done by hands. And so in the Old Covenant, people still related to God by faith, but the way that faith worked itself out was given in the Old Covenant law. And one of the things that God told his people to do was for the men to be circumcised. And in the early church, a lot of false teachers were saying that non-Jewish Christians had to get circumcised in order to be right with God. And, but Obviously, that's not true, but the issue of circumcision is something that is pointing us to a true reality. And I'm going to assume that we don't have that issue today. Not too many false teachers that I know of that are saying, you need Jesus plus circumcision in order to be saved. But there is still a lot of legalism and adding to Christianity that happens, but that is Anthony's sermon, so I'm not going to go there, but just know that's coming. Okay, so the outward sign of your inward faith in the Old Covenant was circumcision. And before we get caught up in the strangeness of that, I want to pull out three realities of circumcision that seem like, to me, they can be spiritually beautiful for you. So circumcision realities. One of them is that flesh was cut off. Flesh was cut off, blood was shed, and it was in the most intimate of places. It was cut off. Not only that, Listen, it was involving reproductive organs. Now, don't giggle at that. There's a point here. Remember this. This is beautiful. The old covenant was predicated upon people having babies until the Messiah would come. They were all awaiting an offspring that would come and die for their sins and rise again to new life. And when you think about these things with regard to the fact that the circumcision that we now have in Christ is not made with hands, but is in our hearts, this becomes glorious. For our circumcision in our hearts, blood was shed and Christ cuts off our flesh, our sin. And Christ does his work in the most intimate part of us, in our hearts. And Christ in us calls us to multiply more believers as he does his work of circumcising hearts by grace through faith. This is beautiful stuff. The gospel according to circumcision is reality for us that can set you free. This is what he's getting at here whenever he says, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You need to hear this, especially if you came in here struggling with battling your flesh. You can rest because Christ has already cut it off and it's in that power that you can fight. Christ was cut off so that you might have freedom from your sin. And then he compounds that with the new covenant expression of this. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith and the power working of God who raised him from the dead. 
So he shows us the spiritual reality of the new covenant outward sign of our inward faith, baptism. Baptism shows us that we died with Christ and rose again with him. So if you're a Christian here tonight, listen, you are alive right now. Sin and death have no hold on you. God's life-giving power feasts on faith. So Paul, what he's doing here is just piling on more gospel for you. You have been intimately loved and raised to life by God. And the sin nature that you still have is cut off in Christ and will one day be completely cut off forever. There will be a time when you don't struggle with that sin anymore. Even if you limp with that sin and suffering for the next 40 years, you're going to spend 40 trillion years not even thinking about it. (laughs) It's beautiful. The gospel according to circumcision, the gospel according to baptism is trying to scream at us for people who come in here shackled by our guilt and our shame. It is finished. But he keeps going. Look at verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, key, key point there, God made alive, part five of our title, together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses, canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. Listen, we were dead. Not only were we dead, we deserved to die because of our sin. And you need to feel the weight of the bad news to see the beauty of the good news. You were dead in your trespasses. This was written to Christians, so we know it's clearly important for us to be reminded of our state apart from Christ. But even if you're a non-Christian in here, I want you to listen. Please understand that when we talk about these realities of what Christians were, that is where you are now. We were dead, but we were made alive. How? By having our trespasses, our sins forgiven. I have been praying for you today. I want you to believe that you are forgiven. I want you to feel it deep in your soul, the relief of forgiveness. Listen, you did get caught in your sin. You really do deserve death, but you are alive because of Christ. And it came at a cost. How was our, how are our sins forgiven? By canceling the record of death that stood against us, setting them aside, nailing it to a cross. Listen, do you realize how big your record of debt is? Every time you've ever done anything wrong, not just in the behavior level, but in the heart and mind level, every time you've tried to act like you were moral apart from God, anything you've done that dishonors God, you owe debt for that. You owe your life. What are the legal demands for our sin? God's law says death penalty. Sin is the worst thing that we can do in the entire universe, and we do it over and over again, every day, on purpose. And you would think that a powerful God like we sing to would see that, execute the sentence, and move on. Listen to me. God could crush us for our sin and still be good, but instead of crushing us, he chose to love us. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, The legal demands are set aside, not by God deciding that they're no longer a big deal. They were nailed to the cross. If you would just believe this tonight, you would be free. God hates your sin, and you get to join him in hating it as you kill it over and over and over again. The cross was Jesus joining his father in hating your sin and setting you free. Jesus died in your place. He got the worst of you, and you got the best of him. And you weren't just brought to spiritually neutral. You were brought into full fellowship with God forever. 
Listen to me. This means you have gospel rights and gospel power. You can look the lies that hold you down in your sin and shame and take them to the shed and put a gospel bullet in its head. You can kill it. You really can. Your death and your sin has been defeated. Jesus' death was a glorious substitute for you in your place, but it was also a glorious victory. Look at verse 15, and we're about done, okay? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The spiritual dark forces against you, listen, have been disarmed. I've heard it said before that the only real weapon that Satan has on you to rob your life and joy in Christ is unforgiven sin. And when you have your sin that's forgiven, there's only victory now. No evil weapon can touch your salvation, not even your own foolishness. And instead of shaming you because of your sin, Jesus took your shame and put your enemies to open shame. You know what that means for you? You can get defiant against your sin. You don't have to surrender anymore to the things that you think you're stuck in. Last night can really be the last night that you ever sin in that way. Again, death and sin are in open shame. And listen, even when you fall, you know deeply that that part of you is dead. And you are forgiven, and you can repent, and you can be restored over and over and over again until you die or he returns and there will be no more sin ever again. Band, come on back up. We've got a few more thoughts here. That victory that we are talking about started the moment that Jesus' heart started beating in the grave 2,000-some years ago. And that victory rings out every time we hate our sin, repent and kill it, and choose love and righteousness. Jesus Christ is victorious. He did not just die. He rose again. So what in the world does that mean for us? It means that you can receive Christ it means you can walk in Christ. It means you can be rooted in Christ. It means you can be built up in Christ. It means you have been made alive in Christ. And it means you are victorious in Christ. So we get to sing like those things are true tonight.